Welcome to the Airline Weekly Lounge. I'm your host, Edward Russell, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jay Shabat, to discuss the Justice Department's suit against the JetBlue Spirit merger and the latest in earnings from Azul and Thai Airways. Enjoy. Hey, Jay, how are you doing on this fine spring afternoon here in Washington? Yeah, it's nice. Uh, nice day here as well in New Jersey. I'm, I'm well. I uh, hope things going well over there. It's uh, you can sort of feel spring in the air, right? Absolutely. And, and I've gotten the joy of spending a lot of time out in that spring weather today because the uh, we are recording this on Wednesday, Tuesday, and the Department of Justice sued to block the U- JetBlue and Spirit merger. See, I almost said U.S. Airways American merger because we were <laughs> talking about this ahead of time, and that was top of mind. But uh, it was the JetBlue Spirit merger. And so I, I got the chance to run down to the Department of Justice and uh, listen to them make their case. Yeah, very cool. What did they What did they say? Uh, I mean, not 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 cool for JetBlue and Spirit, but or JetBlue anyway. But <laughs> what did uh, What did they have to say? Yeah, well, the focus is very much what you would expect. The concerns are about uh, negative impacts to consumers. You know, they expect airfares to rise uh, if JetBlue takes over Spirit, which you know we've discussed here before. Being Spirit is a ultra low cost carrier, and JetBlue, you could say they're a low fare carrier, but they're not. Low, like ultra low cost. So they're rightfully concerned that fares will rise. And, you know, they, they took an approach uh, at uh, an interesting approach to the proposed divestitures that JetBlue and Spirit have proposed. Now, this is all of Spirit's assets in New York and Boston, and then Five Gates in Fort Lauderdale. And it was funny because they were saying, you know, we don't believe this is enough uh, in, in essence, because there's no way to make an airline go in and, and fly the routes that JetBlue and Spirit would, would combine on, which was an interesting take considering the U.S. is a deregulated airline market and we can't tell an airline to fly any route so um it it's an interesting take that they've got there right right and, and you can sort of see the perspective uh from the the Biden administration and you can see the perspective of JetBlue as well I mean I I there, there's clearly an argument out there that uh lots of areas of the economy are becoming over consolidated which is you know one reason why uh, perhaps a reason why some people argue, some economists argue that uh, that we've experienced inflation and maybe one of several factors that uh, have contributed to rising prices in the economy. Um, and certainly, you know, if you talk to the airlines themselves, they'll tell you that, oh, well, you know, if you adjust for everything, you adjust for this, you adjust for that, you know, airlines are still, our airfares are still a, a good deal. And, and, and I think that's, you know, I, I don't think that's an unreasonable statement, but um, there is no question that it's an expensive time to fly right now. I mean, it's it's uh, relative to uh, now. Why is that? You know, there's it's not just consolidation, um, but clearly, I mean, when you have more uh, more airlines, more pricing departments competing against each other, you're going to uh, tend to have more. Uh, you know, you just, you just it's going to benefit the consumer. Um, so there's a lot of different ways to look at it. Uh, you know, I think JetBlue is right that in the sense when they argue that, uh, well, look, we're going to be better able to compete with the big boys, you know, the Americans, Deltas, United's and to an extent Southwest of the world. So that's, you know, I think that's that's a fair point also. And then, yeah, at the end of the day, we'll just see how, you know, where the chips lie, whether or not. I believe with the U.S. Airways American, um, when that with that lawsuit, I believe they settled out of court. Is that right? Uh, that's- U.S. Air American made some concessions and then. 
That's right? right. They they settled mm-hmm. out of court with with that suit in 2013, and we very well could see an out of court settlement here. You know, uh, the DOJ didn't close them off themselves off from a settlement in in their comments, so they didn't say that. They hope for one by any means, by any measure of the imagination. But it's it's interesting to take, like you said. I mean, it's for sure competition creates uh, does push fares down. But the flip side of that is it, we didn't have the healthiest uh, financially airline industry in the U.S. prior to consolidation. And you know, you have to look at it like: Do we want stronger airlines that are more robust and, and can grow more? Or do you want you know more airlines in the market? It's I mean, there's two takes on this, and yeah, yeah you make an excellent point. I mean, I, I, I think it's a very very important point is that uh, if you're a policymaker, you kind of want to ride that balance, right? You don't want to have, you know, I, I remember being in college and uh, flying on Southwest for twenty four bucks or whatever from Baltimore to Cleveland to watch a baseball game. And, uh, you know, you don't find those kind of fares anymore, but that was a time when, uh, it was just very, I mean, Southwest being an exception back then, but I have to was ask, was a, MetroJet competing with Southwest on that BWI Cleveland? They absolutely were. And, uh, <laughs> you, uh, you don't have so many of those battles anymore in the, in the U S domestic market because of consolidation. Um, but you know, is that a good thing? It's, uh, like you kind of alluded to Ned, it's a lot healthier of an airline industry today, U.S. airline industry today, than it was 20 years ago. So, you know, that's a good thing. But, uh, you know, the consumers have to pay more. I think it is very, there's one very important point to make here that, uh, like, I don't think anybody should overlook this. The The cost of fuel has a very, very big influence over where fares would be, where, where fares kind of settle out. So if 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 fuel were to drop to you know twenty bucks a barrel this morning, just take an extreme example, um, over time it would just become so profitable to fly so many more routes that you would just be see airlines jump. You know, every, there would be like a lot more competition. Now, you know, so prices would just fall, and the you know it just so happens that we've been kind of living in a you know relatively high oil price or high fuel price world for much of the past, you know, whatever it is called decade and a half or so. So that that has influenced fares as well, no doubt. Absolutely. You know, it's uh, yeah, it's and we've, we've talked about here. I mean, the costs of for airlines to operate are going up in general. Fuel aside, labor costs are higher today. We're seeing, you know, utilization isn't what it once was. We've we've talked about, you know, unit costs have reset higher from the pandemic, and the merger argues that they can better tackle those higher costs through being a larger company. But then, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it really cuts two ways. Yeah, and my you know my kind of take on that is uh, I'm a little bit. <laughs> forgive me if I'm a little bit cynical there. I think. You know these mergers work because they're good on the revenue side, not on the cost side. They um, they allow. You know, I won't even say you know all out. I'm not going to say that tomorrow all the fares just go up automatically. But the whole you do just see uh, much healthier revenues because there's less price competition. There are you know higher average fares in general. Um, you know you can play games with inflation rates and all that, but adjust here, adjust there. But in general. It's just uh, it's it's a much less competitive airline industry than it was, you know, in, in 2003 or 2004. Um, and, you know, there's just just throwing in kind of another 
argument, and you see, I'm not arguing one way or another here. I'm just throwing in different, you know, some of the things that people are thinking about on this topic. Uh, you know, if you're the DOJ, you might be thinking, well, that's great, you know, JetBlue and Spirit combined. And then, oh, yeah, well, now, you know, Frontier, will, if their costs go up or if they charge you my Frontier, will jump on those routes and Allegiant jump. Well, it's very hard to get aircraft right now. You know, it's it's uh, right. a whole United thesis about how it's just even if airlines want to expand, you can't because of all these supply chain difficulties and difficulties getting labor, difficulties getting planes. So, yeah, sure, you know, Frontier has whatever, a couple hundred planes on order, but they're they're all delayed. And they, uh, you can't go out in the leasing market right now. It's very, you know, just very, very tight. You can, but it's, you, uh, you're going to pay or you're going to wait. So that's uh, those, you know, you have to think about these things too. Yeah, absolutely. There's so many, so many things. And, you know, the DOJ in their public comments came off as very pro-consumer. And, you know, that makes sense for public officials. But, you know, it's I, I do wonder if they see the, the industry side, the in, industry business side of things. But, you know, we're going to see how this plays out. JetBlue's CEO, Robin Hayes, has previously said that he intends to go to court if the DOJ blocks it, which they now have. And, you know, I, I want to also point out that JetBlue Spirit are not without their supporters. And uh, the Attorney General of Florida reached a settlement with them uh, yesterday or Monday, and you know where they promised for new air service, and she is backing the merger. And then, of course, Sarah Nelson, the head of the Association of Flight Attendants, uh, the largest flight attendants union, does back the merger. So it's they've got their supporters, but we're going to have to see how this plays out. There's uncertain. There's certainly going to be some settlement talks, but you know we will see if this goes to court or not. Yeah, and union support could be uh, could be very helpful, I think, to to JetBlue here. I think that's uh, especially because um, labor being an important situation, a constituency for the Biden administration, um, that could be. Uh, yeah, I think if they have labor on their side, um, and you can understand why labor would be on the side uh, for these you know reasons we've been talking about how it stabilizes the industry. I mean, the worst time for labor was when. The industry was an absolute mess and they had to go through bank airlines had to go through bankruptcies and lay off people and tear up contracts and unions never want to go through that again so they like the idea of you know a consolidated industry where now they don't like the idea of an industry that's not growing you know they'd rather see a lot of you know growth and uh you know in that sense you know airlines competing against each other and adding new routes all the time so they don't like the fact that that's not really happening but uh yeah, it's, it's they certainly want the stability that consolidation has has uh, done a lot to foster. Absolutely. Well, there's going to be a lot more on the story in the coming months. Uh, listeners, we will definitely talk more about this right now. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. back. In this uh, second half of the lounge, we're going to talk about some of the latest airline earnings out there. So we've got numbers from Azul in Brazil and Thai in Thailand. Um, Jay, why don't you talk a little bit about Thai first? Yeah, the, and, and both of those airlines you mentioned did did, did rather well. Azul with a bit of an asterisk, we can talk about them in a second. Um, but Thai Airways uh, just completely stunned, uh, <laughs> I think just stunned everybody. Um, they had an incredibly strong fourth quarter. And this is from an airline that had a 
let's say incredibly mediocre. I'm, I'm not trying to be sure. I mean, I, I thought they were still in bankruptcy, <laughs> frankly. But <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, they are still in bankruptcy. But they they went through. Uh, so their last good year was 2010. They were typically like you know not to go too too deep into the history here, but for about I believe 40 years straight. Thai Airways would make money every year because, you know, Thailand is a very, uh, it's a, it's a, a huge tourist market. So if you, um, you know, if all you got to do is if you, if you were pretty much, you know, if you were, there was a time where if you were, you know, if you can competently move all that volume, you can make money, which is what Thai Airways did for a long time. And then 2010 was kind of the last year where they had decent profit margins. And then during that whole last decade, I just saw a ton of new competition, uh, you know, domestically, internationally, the low cost carriers, the the Gulf carriers, Singapore Airlines, the Chinese carriers, and they just couldn't handle it. And Tire was never really much of it's, it. They're, they've had a lot of issues with, uh, you know, overstaffing, terrible at, at ordering aircraft. I mean, they just, I think at one point, just a couple of years ago, they had let's see just wide bodies <clears throat> excuse me they had 380s 350s 340s 330s 747s 787s and am i missing anything did I mean, you mention seven, a 300s and 777s they definitely and had so, a 300s and a three high a 300s yeah that's going back a few yeah i think they but you're right they had a 300s too so pretty much it was a flying museum and they are uh, very inefficient and there's even there were even allegations of i think there's still are like corruption you know they did engine deals that were whenever someone was taking a cut don't know if it's true can't say but you can see i'm not painting a very pretty picture here um so anyway fast forward to 2000 COVID comes along it's may of 2000 they're yeah just get shattered they have to the government has to put them in bankruptcy and they just start slashing and burning and finally taking the steps that they probably needed to take a long time ago. They, I believe they cut their workforce in half or something, something roughly resembling that. And uh, lo and behold, traffic starts uh, picking up after Thailand opens their borders earlier, uh, well, mid-2020, late latest 2020. Um, they had a pretty good third quarter, which is off-peak for them. And then in the fourth quarter, they posted a 21% operating margin, which was third best in the world of all the airlines that have reported so far. So only Copa was better and Air Arabia in uh, United Arab Emirates, Sharjah. So they um, just, Thai Airways is just, they, <laughs> they've got it all going for them. Um, they just, and it's it's that kind of double, kind of double combination there. You've got the uh, dramatically lower labor costs because of the restructuring and then the sudden surge of passengers. And all of these, what we've seen all around the world is that as soon as uh, these countries relax their travel restrictions, you see the travel come back, the tourism come back, and it's always coming back at higher prices. Um, and that's due to, I think there's just a lot of less competition out there and that airlines have to uh, adjust their prices upward because of a much higher cost base as we, you know, kind of mentioned in our previous conversation about JetBlue. So, uh, yeah, that's that's kind of the story. They they're just uh, having having a moment. <laughs> and uh, I mean, let's good for them. Continue. 
like you said, they've been struggling for years, though. It is interesting. I've followed their bankruptcy from a distance, and they are coming back a much smaller airline. They've shed a lot of aircraft. Uh, you know, they're not flying to the U.S. anymore. A lot of ultra-long-haul routes have been suspended. Uh, they've got a new code share with Singapore Airlines. I know Singapore Airlines talks about it as a uh, tie feeding Singapore's ultra long haul flights to the US and elsewhere. Uh, so that's very interesting to see. But it's, I mean, it's, 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 it's something to say about, you know, cutting out the bloat in a state owned company like Thai can really, really help turn it around. Yeah. Now, yeah. speaking of, of, uh, not necessarily a turnaround story, but avoiding bankruptcy, you've got Azul in Brazil. Now, we reported uh, in January how they had engaged some restructuring advisors and they were concerned about their obligations. Uh, to be clear, you know, 80% of Azul's long-term obligations are leases. They lease the major- vast majority of their fleet. And they deferred a lot of payments during the pandemic, many of, were com- of which were coming due. And with the Brazilian real being depreciated, they were facing a roughly 500 billion real uh, cash short. Was it 500 billion? It was. It was a lot of money. <laughs> Put it that way. Um, short, you know, cash shortfall this year. So, you know, they they reached a deal with most of their lessers, and now they're they're looking at break even cash flow this year, which is fantastic. And it's it's funny because they are doing. They're one of the airlines that are doing really well. Like you mentioned, they had a very respectable margin in the fourth quarter. You know, they've grown out of the pandemic, but because of the currency situation and some of the deferrals they made, it's it, they were just facing. You know, <laughs> they had become a, a bankruptcy risk. Uh, so it was really good news out of Azul that they, they've been able to reach some of those agreements. Right. Very strange story. So in the fourth quarter, using uh, just rough numbers here, but their net result was a $100 million loss. Their operating result, which excludes interest and taxes, was a $100 million profit. <laughs> so you can see there's just a lot sort of going on below the line, so to speak, or below the operating line, which is really, we're talking about interest here. And Absolutely. It's, uh, you, I think you kind of covered the stuff going on. I mean, they just, yeah, their their dollar based lease payments and uh, other obligations just got out of control with uh, with the uh, real depreciating so much. But yeah, just at an op- you know strictly operating level, twelve uh, percent operating margin for the fourth quarter. Uh, you know that's excellent. Uh, they've got uh, they're essentially in a three airline market, and Brazil is a very very large country. Um, so that's, uh, you know, it's, it kind of, you can I'd see argue the three airline markets quite healthy, you know, it's, it, it's a large country. They've got a lot of land that needs to be covered, not a very good ground transportation system. And, you know, you don't have disruptors shaking it up. They've got three fair, you know, largely stable airlines as old goal and Latam. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, um, <laughs> it's doing well. Sorry. On the operating level, I wanted to say yields. At Azul in the fourth quarter, we're up fifty percent from twenty nineteen. Fifty percent, yeah, fifty percent, yeah. So yeah, no, you can see that the fares are just uh, are really. I mean, we see that in a lot of places, but that's an extreme version. Yeah, that's uh, um, and so that you know that shows you right there is if you're a policymaker in Brazil, you kind of have the same uh, the same ideas going through your head as the U.S. Department of Justice. You know, is you're thinking to yourself. We've got three airlines because we used to have four in 2019, Avianca Brazil went away. And is this healthy? Is it good for the consumer? And the answer might be yes. I mean, the answer might be, well, yeah, we we like to have a very stable and profitable airline industry. That's a, a good and stable employer. 
and that's you know healthy enough to buy new planes and start new routes and or you might say well it's you know we don't like this <laughs> we don't like a situation where fares are up 50% and you know uh you know lower income people can't fly and so that's you know this these are the challenges of uh being a modern day policymaker i guess this um, is and i would argue that in brazil there's greater risk of bankruptcy and failure there there's just more of a history there than there is in the yes. us but, Very difficult place to run an airline because of the forex yeah. stuff. And the, yeah, fuel taxes are out of control there. It's yeah, airport yeah. fees are high. Yeah, and they're actually you know a lot of interesting ha- things are happening with Azul now that we're you know talking about them. I think it's sometimes more interesting to talk about the uh, you know stuff that's going on in the operating level rather than the financial level. But uh, you've got um, you know they never one thing that they never did they never had to do they. They probably could have settled some of these debts by selling off the crown jewels, so to speak, which in their case, they have three business units, which are performing very well for them. And uh, you can help me if I forget one, but there's a loyalty program, the cargo plan, and then the the tour operator, right? So they have those three things and they're doing really, really well. Um, and they never had to sell those. They they held on to them. So they, you know, going forward, they've got their new agreements with their lessors and, and whoever else. And you know they still have that, and then yeah, they've got the um, they've got the strong fares as, as we've mentioned. They've got some interesting co-chair relationships: uh, United, JetBlue, Tap Portugal, and they also have uh, some new slots at uh, the downtown Sao Paulo airport. With, uh, in, you know, slot in, yeah, yeah, Congonha, very uh, high yield airport with a lot of business traffic. So nice, uh, yeah, kind of nice situation for them. I, I think with the yield situation, uh, Jay, everything's high yield now. <laughs> the yeah. yield's up 50%, but that's another story. Scott Kirby is right. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Jay, always a pleasure. Our listeners will keep you updated on everything JetBlue and Spirit as, as things progress. And if you want to reach myself, you can reach me at er at skiff.com. You can reach Jay at js at skiff.com. Jay, another good week in the lounge. Yep. We'll uh, see everybody next week. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. Check out airlineweekly.com for a new issue every Monday and updates on the latest airline news throughout the week. <laughs>